Happy Thursday, folks. This is episode number 45 coming at you. Um, continuing on the buck battles, this is baiting versus non-baiting. Yeah, very and, juicy subject. Yes, and we have... So, I like the guests that we had on this one. One of them is originally from the South, and DJ is originally from the South, and Vince is from Michigan, which when you think of the South and Michigan, you think of hard-to-hunt states, smaller deer. Polar opposite um, areas, climate, etc. Totally, totally different. different. Um, And just the points that they brought up of pro-baiting and non-baiting, I thought were really good. Yeah, so the stereotypical, like, baiting versus non-baiting stance i don't think that we got it in this one we definitely went a lot deeper yes and there was there was points on both sides of the fence that really opened my eyes and i thought like there was especially dj he had a way of like wording things that like i just yeah didn't look at it like that Mm -hmm. before and i thought it was very brought a good perspective into the very good like you know, I I, I kind of looked. Ah, I'm not gonna get into it. You guys, please enjoy the podcast. But like, yeah. definitely was a different aspect of, of yes how to look at things. And I don't think we wanted like the stere- stereotypical like somebody in a ladder stand 12 yards away from a, a giant corn pile. Like we yeah. didn't want that. We wanted somebody that ran bait, minerals, supplements, that also knew how to hunt. Yep. Yeah. You know. Yep. And didn't just rely on that corn pile at 20 yards away or whatever the distance is, you know, no matter what the wind condition is or anything like that. We wanted somebody, like you said, that knew how to hunt. Mm -hmm. And and I think we got that. I I really, I really enjoyed this one. Like I, they both had really good points. We just finished up our last one Mm -hmm. um, that will air next week. And I can honestly say this one was one of my favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I really liked this one a lot. It's funny. I think we say that about every time, but yet, like, they're, yeah. they're our favorite in their own way. They're, you very, know what I mean? they're all very different, which yes. is what we want. Yes. Yeah. And, and we love talking to new people and getting different perspectives on stuff and just, like, you know, their hunting style or, you know, how they go about it and, and yeah. that type of stuff, too. So yeah. it's very cool. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what do you boys got going on in your lives? Anything cool? A lot of work right now. Man, we got 20 cars at the shop. Shoo! Busy, busy, busy. So yeah, no end in sight. We can right say there. on this podcast that we have something coming up as well. As yeah. well, we are going to be working. Born again bow hunting. We'll be working with a new company very soon. You're not. Yeah, this is the right podcast. Yeah, yes. this is the correct yes. podcast to say this. Is we won't announce it tomorrow, but we'll be announcing it late. Announcing is that the right word? Yeah, yeah. Announcing it later. Um, probably next week or the week after that, we're working with a new company. Yeah, yeah very excited. Um, archery. We'll, we'll kind of give. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll yeah. kind of give you a little uh, a little bone. It's uh, it's archery related, and yep. we uh, we saw their stuff at ATA. Yep. Um, really enjoy the the product. Like the def- people are awesome. Definitely the people. Um, we know a couple guys that are kind of partnered, or I shouldn't say partnered, that work work yeah. within the company. Yeah. And they reached out to us, and they're like, "Hey, what's it gonna take?" and and uh, we we made her happen. Yeah. yeah, and I'm really I'm really fortunate and very happy that that they that they are wanting us. You know yeah, what I mean? Absolutely. Like that's to me that that when a company reaches out yes. to you, in my mind, it is a lot different than you reaching out to a company mm-hmm. because they, I mean, they see the they see your hard work because in this what we're doing with the podcasting and the YouTube and the Instagram daily Instagram posts and the Facebook posts and the TikToks like it is it takes a long long it's a, long it's another time. full-time job it is i mean honestly and yeah. the amount of time you have to be doing it to get street credibility it's years 
And, you know, it takes, you know, when Matt, you decided to start this in 2018, look where we're at 2023, and we are finally, like, it just, that's how long it takes, unless you just have some incredibly lucky, amazing situation happen where it comes to you instantly. This is what it takes. It's years and years yeah. of hard work. So and it's then, just cool. Yeah, and then I also want to say that this is, like, uh, last year we took it serious mm-hmm. for Honestly, like the first time with the podcast, with everything, yeah, oh, everything, everything, daily posting. Like before, we were we'd hit it hard during season, and then like we wouldn't post for like two months. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know, sure. it's just the truth. Like we just were seasonal. We were very seasonal, and I think this year we really wanted to try to like, hey, if we're gonna do this, like let's try it, and it's paying off. And uh, yeah, it, honestly, we can. We've seen the benefits, you yeah, know, right. and I it's mean, not even deer season yet. Yeah, yeah. that's what we gotta stay yeah. be excited about. It's like, yeah. We're, we we hit it hard in the off season, and we have to like hit it harder Continue. when season comes. Yeah, absolutely, like it's easy to be like, well, we worked so hard up until season. Now we're gonna take it easy. Like hey, no, like hey, we gotta listen. go harder. We're killing two booners this year. Yeah, <laughs> I'm already. Cl- I'm I'm calling. Dude, it right I now. feel I feel good about Kentucky for you. I don't know why, but I already already when you said you're going to Kentucky September second second, I was like, he's gonna kill something. Yeah. I, I just had so it. So like, well, he's got something to do. I will be honest with everybody listening. I've if he's still alive, and I think it's the same deer because I'm looking at like body position and like he's got like one tuft of hair that's a different color. Um, there's a deer that's hitting a scrape down a big timber mm. on my cameras that last year he was probably like one sixty. Holy smokes! So if, you, and that's public seen land him this year. Yeah, Whew. on camera. Whew. Now he's not grown, yeah. obviously, but yeah, but you can but see like, the tuft of hair. You can there. see the nubs, and like he's starting to grow his beams. And based on body, it it looks very similar. That's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. if he grows, I mean, and plus, like with it being a se- September second opener, I mean, I'm gonna go to the ag fields too. Yeah, yeah. but I'm also gonna have a backup option of that big timber. Bring yeah. your velvet. Spray. I will. Velvet lock. lock. Velvet lock. We're not sponsored by them, are we? No. <laughs> it just works good. No, no. Right? We just really, yeah. we just really like them. Old yeah. Jerry, he used it on his. He last killed his. Yeah. Is did he mount that? It's sitting it's, in his uh, a euro right now. Yeah. But the that stuff still the yep. velvet it's still. still yeah, I just yep. I just seen it the other day when that's I went to his cool, house. That's such a cool product. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. Maybe Kevy will come down. Maybe. Very possible. Yeah. Maybe. There's a possibility. I can't uh, well, promise anything yet, but we'll put a big maybe right once there. Once I show Kevy some pictures. Oh, Kevy's like, like, yeah, Sarah, <laughs> um, I'm not going to be home for the next month. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that would be September in Kentucky um, and out west. Out west. And then October, we're going to Indiana. Yeah. Man, that'd be a busy two months, month and a half, really. Do you have the vacation? Well, obviously, Kentucky I, wouldn't be a week, but. Yeah. I, I have the vacation for Indiana and. Colorado. So here's the thing with Kentucky, though. I know it's a weekend, but that Monday is Labor Day. I know, but it's still time away from home. That's the thing. You know what I mean? She won't know. <laughs> she, won't, she won't be. She, she won't notice you're gone for three days. Kevin. No, she won't even know. She'll just be like, "Oh, where'd Kevin go?" Nah, he's See, out doing something. Might, I'm sure he's right mowing the grass. He's out in the garden. Have somebody drive by with a diesel truck so she thinks I'm coming home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but it's funny. Kentucky's a maybe. I can't. I can't say for sure. But and I'm it's not going to hold you to that because I know you got your out west trip and yeah. stuff but jarrett said the same thing kentucky's a maybe he might come down for the weekend but yeah. black and i are definitely going down um 
And then, yeah, we've got Indiana in late October. Mm-hmm. That'll be, I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be one of the funnest trips of the year, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just we, because of the people going. Do we have like a core group that are locked in yet? Or? I think just the same guys last year. And I know Cody from Whitetail Legacy talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um, he's not, he's not a hundred percent, but he's. He's close. Plus the guys from Trophy Line. I was going to ask them, did they commit? Yeah. So they, I think they did after, yeah. They committed. Yeah. yeah. They yeah. committed. So For some reasons. We're going to have some dudes from Trophy Line in camp. Um, they they said that they're probably not going to stay at our camp because they're hunting they're hunting the same area, but they're like 40 minutes from us. Mm, okay. So they said that they might stop in for like a couple days oh, okay. and like yeah. and hang out for a couple days and then and then go back to their spot. Okay. So cool. Cool. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But anything. Simon Brothers, Wild Tine. Um, us, Cody's a possible, and Trophy Line, I think, is 100%. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Cool. Third Axis Designs, check me out. Facebook, Instagram, that's it. Cromer's okay. making some cool stuff, so check yeah. it out. Yep, 3D printing's going really well. Uh, life is good. How's the, uh, like, the Target side of stuff going right now? Target, the, target Archery is, it's a hard balance, but I'm doing my best. Like, I'm trying to... I'm trying to get the practice in. Like right now for me, I just can't get enough practice. I gave it up. Matt's like going switching to bow hunt, which I totally respect. No, seriously, I, I 100% hunt, gave it so, up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have time. I And I'm trying my absolute hardest to just make the time just to be mm-hmm. competitive. Yeah. I haven't. I've competitive. Missed, Didn't you win something here? No, I, I've been like fourth place twice, two times in a row. I'm you not, say top five. Top five, yeah. but like I'm usually, you know, first or second. Hey, hey, <laughs> hey, hey. Sounds like a jerk thing to say. But anyways, I'm trying. Well, here's I'm, the I'm thing trying. with target archery, and, and please, I know most, most of these guys on here are hunters. But honestly, we encourage everybody to get into some kind of tournament style because it honestly, it teaches you how to stay calm under pressure. Next week, we were just, we were talking to Dave and he was mentioning about how you can put all the time in the world into the cell cams and the baiting. Money, travel, gas. But if you can't finish the shot. Then it is all a waste. Like, that's why I love the competitive archery side of it. If you go put yourself under pressure with a bow. Having that deer in front of you, you will you will uh, create the system in your brain to where it's automatic. You don't yeah. think about looking through the peep sight. You don't think about your anchor point. You don't think about your grip. You just it's just all automatic, and then all you can do is focus it on the deer. Yep. And yep. that's like I think that's such an under well, it's people figured out for themselves when they put all that time in. And I, mm-hmm. who did we just somebody just sent something where they shot a deer over the deer's back at nineteen yards or something. Somebody, that was that was, was during this podcast. Okay, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. it was. It's like you know, it's like yeah, Vince, 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 yeah, and it's that is not in, bad. In Kansas, Vince. no, it's no, not bad not at all. But it is that's a big aspect of hunting, and I took it so extreme that I do it like full time competitively because I yep. just love to shoot my bow. Yeah, but I can honestly, I can vouch you because you know I'm you know I love to hunt more than probably anything else in my life, mm-hmm. but. Like, I also love the, the competitive side of archery because it's taught me so much. Yes. Like, I I get a little buck fever just because of, like, it's natural and, like, everybody, if you don't get buck fever, get out of it. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? But like, don't waste your money. But, like, when it comes down to the shot, I, it don't bother me one bit. Yeah. Once you, know? you hone in. It's like, it's like you know, there's, there's nerves because if you're not nervous, then, you know, obviously you don't care. So there's nerves involved, but, like, once I draw my bow back... Everything kind of just goes blank, and you're so comfortable. With and you're just it, yeah. so you're so like used to being underneath that pressure, and that it's just like okay, just make good shot. And the interesting thing, and the controversial thing, I'll say is you could th- you could shoot ten thousand arrows in your backyard and hit the bulls every time, but if you don't do it under pressure, oh, amen, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Amen, it does matter. I'm not saying don't shoot your bow in the backyard, but 
Um, but the, there's still no pressure there. You have the fundamentals down, but and it's very helpful. Don't get me wrong, but. I think that if you do it competitively, I will always push for that. Always, always, always. We always always encourage every... If you're listening to this or watching this, please, just take our advice, honestly. Go to a 3D shoot. Go to a 3D shoot. Get Mm -hmm. with some buddies. There's leagues everywhere. Like... You don't have to go out and buy a two thousand dollars setup. Take your take your hunting bow. Yeah, take yeah. the broadheads off. There are literally <laughs> classes for just hunters. Yeah. yeah, like short stabilizers, no lens. Yeah, I mean, like there's cla- there's classes for you. I mean, Kevin just went to that shoot this past yeah. weekend, and like that got you like in your brain. You're like, all right, I got to start. You know, yeah, that, I got to get on it more. Yeah. and and like I'm very bad at punching it. So like you guys worked me through a couple things to mm-hmm. not punch it as as bad and i was working on that and my group shrunk down a little bit yeah and they weren't on you know on the orange dot necessarily but like i think the group shrunk down just from yeah. the few pointers that you guys gave me at the shoot when i was there shooting and you're you gonna know? find what you found is what you'll find from a stranger at a shoot like yeah. a stranger he'll hopefully kindly try to help you if you the archery co- there's nobody what I, one thing that i've learned in the archery community and we won't go down yeah, this rabbit hole too this much intro. but one thing that i've learned about the archery community is like nobody's out there to i shouldn't say nobody 99 percent of the guys out there are not out to get you. 95 yeah. 95 <laughs> maybe 90 percent like <laughs> but yes i, I would i would say yeah. 95 95 percent of the guys are going to help you yeah so don't don't feel like don't be scared. Don't yeah exactly. Don't be scared. And feel free to ask somebody too. Yeah, like yeah. don't necessarily rely on them to approach you. If if you see somebody that's out there killing it, ask them for some pointers. Yeah. Like yep. hey, what am I doing wrong? Yeah, happy something, to help maybe. you. Yep. I'm sure they would be. Yeah. And what we're tying all this into is this will help you kill deer. I promise. Yeah. Because it just puts you in a different mindset. You know, killers yeah. kill, right? So it's like you have to get in that killer mindset, and then you know, on target archery, it's the same thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's but. good. It's good stuff. All right. Okay. Enough of us rambling. Yeah, yeah, that was a good ramble. Yeah. Let's get into this one. Hope you guys enjoy. Thanks. All right. So real quick, we forgot to mention one important thing. We are going to have a new YouTube platform only for the podcast. Uh, we felt like the podcast videos were kind of starting to flood our main channel. Not that it was a bad thing, but um, I noticed that like, even for myself, it was kind of hard to determine like what was an actual video versus what a, a podcast so what we're going to do is we're going to create a born again bow hunting podcast channel on youtube so if anybody that you know normally listens to that uh, podcast via youtube um be be uh, on the look for a new channel and that that should be coming i'll probably get that done this weekend so within a le- less than a week we'll have and and we will not be posting anything to the channel until that is up so I'd say less than a week, we'll have that figured out, hopefully. Um, I don't know if YouTube's going to make us, I can't remember what hoops we had to jump through. Do they give you like a probation period or something like well, X amount of videos or anything? See, I created the main channel, so I think it was like three or four years four years ago. I can't remember what's involved with it. So gotcha. that's what I'm saying. Like, it, I don't know if there's like a validation period where you have to, you know, I don't, I don't know. I can't remember. So, but we'll have that new channel up. And please go over there, like, and subscribe, and uh, show us some love over there, because we'd appreciate it. Thank you. So we're, we're a Christian um, group of guys, and we're all followers of Christ, and I do want to talk a little bit about this. And I look up, and he's trying to put the camera on, and I go, he's 72 My strategy was completely different. I, he's got up his areas, and I knew the terrain features I wanted to hunt. 
I think that I would rather use a scrape line because I imagine that there's more bucks hitting a scrape line because the line's longer. <laughs> <laughs> and actually lay eyes on the property first and then start you know, doing my e-scouting whenever I actually knew what it was that I was looking at. I think our deer at home have bigger ranges than we want to admit. Just I, because of the more pressure. I 100% agree. Brad it up, Kevy. Send us home, baby. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of the Born Again Bow Hunting Podcast. We're back at the Buck Battles this week, um, and this week we got Vince and DJ. So, uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I don't know. We're going to be talking pro baiting and non baiting. Yeah, so another I'm hot topic. I'm excited about this one. Yeah. It's going to be a good one, and uh, we'll let you guys introduce yourselves, kind of give your side of this uh, of the fence, and then we'll go from there. Yeah, so let's. Uh, you want to hit them with some icebreakers first, and then we'll get into the introduction. Yes, icebreakers or introduce themselves real quick. Icebreakers first. Okay, go always, ahead. Always, always icebreakers. <laughs> okay, so um, I don't care who goes first, but whoever goes first on one, just kind of take the lead and then bounce back and forth, if you guys would. So doesn't matter to me who goes first. So the first uh, question is: During hunting season, what is your go-to? You know, if you stop at a gas station, what's your go-to drink? Coffee, water, energy drink, you name it. What's your pickup at the gas station? Ooh. Do you want to go first, DJ? Oh, well, for me, you know, that's easy money right there. You know, I have to get an Arizona Mucho Mango grape or watermelon. I got to. It's a 99 cent. It's been that way. Despite the ups and downs in our economy, I have to (laughs) put it in the Yeti cup. That's what I got to get. That's what I got to get. (laughs) <laughs> that's awesome he fits right in yeah he's the first arizona guy so we all have uh either an arnold palmer or i just Roman i grabbed the, sweet, i just yeah. cracked one for you i got a sweet tea yeah we should be sponsored uh maybe one day <laughs> well i'm about to hit you guys with a double whammy because Ooh. i also do an arizona however i very rarely take it with me i usually stop at the gas station and slam uh, an Arizona green tea as fast the as I can. Green tea, yeah. But, yep, the green tea. That's the only one that sits well in the in the gut. That and uh, the only thing I usually take with me, as far as like uh, to pair with that, is usually a bag of uh, uh, Hibaro like gummy bears or something like that. And yeah. I usually like stuff those in the back, and that's about all I take with me. Gotcha. Dude, these guys fit right in. Yeah. Like, let's just talk about Arizona tea for the rest of the time. <laughs> hey, dude. Drinking it for years. I live on Arnold Palmer's. I don't think you guys understand. You like, don't understand. This guy, like, I how, live. Many do you, how many do you drink a day? <sighs> how many does my wife think I drink? Or how many do I actually drink? <laughs> She's not going to watch. She's not going to listen to this. Just Sometimes she does. <laughs> I got to be careful. She already cut me back. Yeah. I'd say I drink two of the tall boys a day at work plus a bottle of water and then probably you know i got the gallon jugs in the fridge <laughs> i got the little small cans so i don't know yeah we won't even an unhealthy amount we won't even try it runs in your veins we'll put it that yeah, way it's 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 getting to the point where i'm cra- craving it so <laughs> okay so question number two what is your current bow setup and you can go into a little bit about your draw weight length arrow setup something like that too Okay, well, you know, Ricky Bobby said, if you ain't first, you're last, and I'm a Hoyt shooter, so I believe that's the best damn bull we got out in the world right now. <laughs> and I shoot the RX-7 Ultra. All right. I got my Vapor Trail VTX strings, Gen X drop-away arrow rest I got there, Easton FMJ arrows. I got to shoot a fixed 
Muzzy, hundred grain broadheads. What I got a sling. Yeah. And that's about it. I run dual stabilizers. I got a fuse, ten inch torch in the front, seven inch in the back. Shoot a Cobra wrist released. And that's it. That's nice. that's the setup. Very that's basic. That's a nice setup. Yeah. It kills. Oh, and uh, the the HHA single pin. Mm-hmm. Gotta have it. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. Uh, yeah, for me. So I shoot a brand new Matthews. I've been shooting Matthews now for I don't know the last five years um arrows are the uh, vector zmr arrows site is a spot hog fast steady two pin yep. which That's i do enjoy steady. however um i do have a secondary site which is a hha single pin as well fantastic site um i do use the ultra view grip um, I also use the UltraView thumb button release. Mm-hmm. Um, that's corrected a lot of issues for me there. Very much enjoyable on that. Um, and then as far as strings, I use uh, Energy Wave bow strings. Uh, it's uh, they're custom made strings out of a gentleman out of Nashville, Tennessee. Um, and then draw weight, I uh, run sixty five pounds and twenty eight and a half inch draw length. Hey, okay. there we go. Oh, cool. We got to get him some of your side plates, Carmen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I make I make custom side plates for Matthews, so oh, nice. cool. they work. Well, awesome. They work well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just a little bit thinner than your standard grip. And I, when I was shot Matthews, I preferred just a little bit thinner grip instead of the the stock or like some, most of the ones that they you can buy aftermarket are kind of on the thick side. So I'm a, I'm, nice. a, I'm a side plate guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the final question is, what is your favorite trail camera from this past year? And like, approximately, how many cameras did you run this last year? Doesn't have to be like an exact number, just a roundabout number. Mm, well, you know, I want to be respectful to people and their partnerships and companies and brands. So I, I will say, I used to love my stealth cam fusion trail cameras, but then I fell in love with my tactic cams and I probably ran about maybe I want to say 14, 14, 15 cameras between, uh, Minnesota, 14, 15. Okay. Nice. Um, so I'm close to the same, uh, ran about 16 cameras this past year. I have no loyalty to a camera brand. No one pays me any money. So, (laughs) Um, the best performing camera I own, uh, as far as performance and, and doesn't fail, uh, is my Exodus render. Um, but as far as like quick deployment, something that I can count on for, I know exactly to the day and how many minutes before I have to replace batteries is, um, is the Bushnell Cellucor, uh, which is a cell camera, pretty fairly cheap, 99 bucks. Um, but probably my overall most reliable camera. It's a standard camera. Um, it's a old style Bushnell camera, and I usually can throw a set of batteries in there, and it's good for like four months. Mm-hmm. Oh wow! Wait, I haven't heard that. It's, one also a, it's also not a cell camera. It's just extremely reliable gotcha. in that sense. Gotcha. You know? yeah. So. yeah, not a lot of people say Bushnell. Yeah, which is a it's a name brand. You know, you hear about them a lot, but not a lot of guys run them. Mm-hmm. So Tacticam's up there. We hear that a lot. But, uh, I've, ran, I've ran tactic cams before i've had didn't really have any issues the only thing i didn't really care for on the tactic cams was just um you know i like to hang cameras a little bit higher um and it just just as far as like you know video quality or something like that it's just not not what i'm looking for but still a great camera gotcha pretty gotcha. cost effective you know yeah 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 yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, sweet. Mm-hmm. All righty, so before we get into the actual podcast, guys, why don't you just uh, give us a little rundown of who you are, what your brands are, and then we'll go into it. Sure. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll, I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, my name is is Vince Badiata. Um, I might know some of you. Some of you might know me. Uh, my handle is at Chasing Public. You can find me on Instagram there. Um, been hunting for you know many years. Started when I was twelve, and I'm thirty five now. Um, and my stance on baiting is technically against it. Okay. Okay. All right, folks, you know, I'm your host with the most former from the East Coast, but I am in, in the Midwest. And I am planning to be one of the best, and my name is David Jones Jr. I was born Jacksonville, Florida, raised Callahan, Florida, but I am now living just up 30 minutes south of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, I started hunting when I was knee-high to a grasshopper and, or in a car seat, if you ask my dad, in the back seat of that Chevrolet. And I am for bait. Because if you ain't baiting, you just hopelessly waiting. That's that's my model. <laughs> that's perfect. That's I good. love it. All right, let's get into it. Okay, so uh, why don't you guys give us what side of the fence you are? Give us like your opening statement, and then we'll dive into we'll it. Duke it out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you you want me to go first? Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Um, yeah. So the topic is just to clarify: baiting versus non-baiting. Correct. 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 Yes. Correct. Yes. So I think we can all agree here that this is a topic that we could talk about for weeks um, and probably never come to a resolution. Same thing uh, like crossbows, right? Or how people use trail cameras. It's one of those topics, right? So I think there's definitely pros and cons. I would say my overall initial stance is I... I would say I would advise against it even if it is legal. And my only position is on that is, and this is something I had to learn from experience, um, is that it just, it really puts you in a box. You know, it, it puts you in a box. Um, if you're really trying to excel, like in your woodsmanship or trying to, you know, target specific deer um, or become a really effective um, hunter in specific situations, uh, you're not going to get that out of baiting. There's, there's really not any, any two ways about that. Um, there's also other drawbacks where, you know, if you, if you continue to bait in a specific area for long periods of time, deer continue to die there. And eventually they start to associate that area with death, right? That's kind of, that's kind of my personal opinion there. I baited for a handful of years uh, on a piece of permission property and I would get, um, you know, pictures and, and sign of, of really great quality deer, deer that are, you know, above 130 inches. And I'd get them pictures in daylight and all that stuff. And, you know, the access to this place was literally 15 yards across the fence line. So it wasn't like they could, you know, pick me off or anything like that. But over time, um, you know, you would get fewer and fewer deer there during during the season just because they know that during that time there's bait out there like it's a danger zone, you know, and um, especially, you know, in, in other situations like um Ohio, for example, the deer numbers are not the greatest, but has but but the quality of deer are, are can be phenomenal, right? Um, you know, baiting there doesn't help that. Yeah, you know, I've never understood why you know a place would have baiting if the deer numbers are are down. That just doesn't that doesn't really make any sense to me. Um, so that's kind of my my two cents on that. However, on the, the other side of the fence, the, the good side is, is, you know, it's a great way to get kids out in the beginning. 
it's an easy way to see a lot of deer, you know, or maybe for the guy that works 70 hours a week and really only gets, you know, a couple weekends out of the whole season to hunt and he just wants to put some venison in the freezer. Yeah. Like if it's legal, you know, that's like, that's a great way to do it. And it's, it's efficient. So I think it's just, you got to kind of take it with a grain of salt and all just really depends on, on kind of what you want out of it. But overall, I would say, you know, if you want to be a better hunter and really, you know, be a hunter and try to hunt, uh, you know, that animal, then I would try to ad advise against it. Okay. DJ, your side. Well, you know, I'm a Southerner <laughs> and uh, I'm going to ride with my beliefs my cask and drop my casket. I want those that know me and love me to still speak what I stood upon when I was alive on God's green earth. And I believe in baiting. And I say that because growing up a Southerner in some places in the United States, when it comes to hunting, baiting isn't something that you don't need. It's, it's something that you need because not all places geographically within the United States can support having animals with a healthy herd without having some form of supplemental feed or bait. And like most of you guys, I grew up watching some of the greatest hunters that we've ever seen who in some way, shape, form, or fashion, they're putting out supplemental products to kind of help grow the best herd that they want. And watching other hunters in the Midwest go off in places like Wisconsin and other places where you're allowed to actually bait and watch people shoot great deer from baiting. I like it. And, the aspects that I also like about that too is you have a lot of deer who in the off season and during the regular season example, during the rep where we watch our bucks get, get run down, right? Mother nature can be cruel in the months of November and December, but a lot of these bucks and sometimes then, and also other deer can also rely on going to places where there is bait, where they can get the minerals and the supplements that they need during that time of the year, as opposed to places where they can't, if you got three or four feet of snow up on the ground, they can't get it. But if Joe Blow over there has about 200 pounds of corn, old boy can show up whenever he wants to to go and eat. He has that security and knowing that he can go there and eat. The numbers, I'm not going to really get into that because I, I always feel like every hunting area is always going to be different, right? It's, it's, it's always going to be different across the United States. But I'm going to say I'm probating just because I just – I've seen nothing but the positive effects of it. I understand that, you know, there can sometimes be negative effects of baiting. The biggest drawback that I hear from some people that don't like baiting is, it's like, you know, it kind of keeps and holds a deer in one area. And in my opinion, it's like, well, then it just turns into a competition is who has the best bait out. And the deer are going to let you know who has the best bait out because if, if all of a sudden you're not seeing them no more, you got to do something because old boy across the street over there, he's, <laughs> he's doing something right to get, to, to get everybody over here and they're staying over here and, they hate that. And my opinion, it's like, you know, a lot of people forget the aspect of, of how those that are allowed to bait, they keep some of our local businesses, the mom and pop farm feeding companies and business by showing up there and buying 50 to 100 pounds of corn, you know, once or twice every two weeks. So I like the benefits. I like the I like when you have that ability growing up in the South. That's how I grew up hunting. Um, I'm not going to say that because you put out bait that is supposed to magically make all deer appear during daylight hours. You still have to learn how to hunt effectively. It can be an asset, but sometimes it can deter you depending on where you're at within the country. And I like it. I'm for it. You know, if you can do it, do it. I feel like, you know, hunting is almost like having that Batman belt. 
you got to look now and figure out which tools you can use that are going to effectively help you right there in that situation. If you have the ability to bait, I'm going to recommend doing it. Get you some analogs, get you some big time, get you some crush, get you whatever you can get that's legal and within the guidelines of your Department of Natural Resources and throw it out there. Do it, but also still do your homework in the meantime as well. Gotcha. Valid point. I mean, both valid points. So one thing I forgot, why don't we uh, do a little introduction of your guys' self, and I'll put that in front of this, so that's my bad. I'm slipping today. No, it's all right. Today's been hectic on us, oh, boys. We're, we're normally not like this. So. <laughs> you guys so, nailed the beginning. But the, the yeah. intro was, yeah, was fantastic. And actually, let's just keep going with yeah, it. At the very end, we'll just edit this out, and it won't be in the podcast. So do you guys have any arguments amongst these, uh, each other? After your opening um, statements. I, I got I got one thing to say. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what DJ said. Like he makes some some valid points. I, I, and I want to be clear that I don't um, I don't I don't disagree with you know baiting overall. I think it, it definitely can be useful and it definitely has its has its place. However, you know uh, the white-tailed deer. If we're just talking about deer, uh, has proven to be one of the most adaptable animals in the world um you know it's spread you know across canada all the way down to the you know as, as far as south as you can you know you know get to and you know if you removed bait um you know because at once upon a time like we didn't we didn't have bait and they were still in those places you know there's enough natural resources especially in like you know high weather areas like canada you know canada different parts of canada is brutal and they have some of the largest whitetails in the, in the world, right? They they die off, they survive, and they repopulate. You know, deer are essentially large rabbits, and they breed like crazy. Um, however, you know, we do go through seasons where they, you know, it is brutal in places like Iowa, right? And it, it can be very helpful to to keep your deer herd, you know, well and fit and, and healthy. And I I do agree with with that. Um, but you know, that's, that's off season talk. That's not, you know, hunting over the pile, I guess you would say, you know, but DJ also makes a good point, right? Like if, if baiting is legal in your state and everybody else around you is baiting and you're trying to do it, you know, in, in a way where, you know, you're trying to really increase your, your woodsmanship, it can be really hard, especially on places like in, in public land when it's surrounded by private and there is, you know, two, 300 pound, you know, piles of corn out there what do you do? You know, there's not a lot of options and it, it can become very difficult. So, um, yeah, that's all I, that's all I really wanted to say on that. Uh, I'll say something. So yeah, like yeah. what I've noticed and, uh, if you, if you follow our channel, if you don't, I'm not like the biggest hunter. So I ask the questions that maybe, you know, maybe somebody else isn't thinking about, but like I see on the internet, I see people that are really, really passionate about how much they hate baiting and why, as the person that is against baiting, why do you think that's the case for a lot of people? They're, they're very against it. Like they're very passionate about it, man. Honestly, like, like I said, I, I I'll completely support it. Mm -hmm. However, like if you, if I'm stepping outside of the box for people like that, then if it's if if they're giving a lot of hate, you know, honestly, that person probably shot a big deer, and they're probably really jealous. It's a jealousy thing, have, you know, a hundred acres, and they can do whatever they want with it, right? Mm -hmm. Like I'm 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 can be completely honest, you know, I'm envious of stuff like that. 
And Kevin knows I exclusively hunt public land day in and day out. However, like I, I would think it would be fair for us to all say like our dream would to be own, you know, 500 plus acres in, in the state of Iowa and do whatever we want with it. Right. Like that would be amazing, you know? So I, I think it just, it comes down to jealousy sometimes. And, and unfortunately that's, that's kind of with anything, but it, it happens a lot in, in our industry, mm-hmm. um, which kind of stinks, but you know, that's kind of the reality. I think another point that we're, that we're missing here is, is too, is that there's been some research and there's been some studies that have been done in some of the Southern States when it comes down to baiting. And a lot of people hate the fact that they can't compete with either what their neighbors being able to put out with minerals and supplements and say, for instance, I'm putting out bait, you're putting out bait, but I'm putting out big time and you're putting out analogics, but the deer prefer to have some of what I got with the big time. We have a buck. I know he's not home calling my place home. Sometimes he's calling your place home, but I have the better bait so I can then lure that buck off of your property onto my property and then I shoot him. And then all of a sudden I send you a text, let you know, Hey, the buck that we're both chasing is dead. I shot him. He came in, he came into the, the, the big time, uh, big buck brunch at six o'clock yesterday, had a North Northeast wind. I was sitting in the muddy blind, shot him, killed him. He's done, man. You know, thanks for sharing pictures with me and, and hunting this deer with me and, and the competition. And then that feeling of watching somebody else shoot your buck or your buck, quote unquote, mm-hmm. when you had this competition, you're both baiting. And you just had that one little thing, that one little variable that you were able to control and your neighbor wasn't. And it creates that jealousy and that hatred and that envy. And then some people just feel like it's unethical. And you could say the same thing about food plots because none of the food plots were actually ever there until you started grabbing your John Deere or your Gleaner or whatever it is. Paid for some seed, diesel, did everything you needed to do and you grew it. So it's like, as hunters, I feel like we all can't get along all the time. Yeah. But it also is pretty fun to kind of watch when when we have like these little debates and these topics and stuff like that. And I'm always okay with it as long as everybody is respectful. I don't, you know, I don't, I don't like watching hunters be disrespectful to other hunters or try to put other hunters down because I feel like to this day, I have never seen anybody from PETA go arguing with each other or calling each other stupid or, or not getting along with each other in the comments. But I guarantee you, you can find some hunting posts where you're watching hunters, whether they hunt public or private or permission, they're bashing another one about what he killed or they're saying that I would never shoot a buck that big or that low or et cetera. And, and I feel like that plays into it as well. So that was just my take. No. And, and I, I'm glad you brought up that point because the reason why we have this podcast series to begin with is, to bring everybody together because nine times out of 10, like, you know, you have one side of the fence and the other, but normally they have common goal. And at the end of it, you know, we both shake hands and we say, you know, Hey, I disagree with what you're doing, you know, personally, but I'm not going to bash you for it. And you know, it's, it's like you were saying, if it's legal, it's legal. Mm -hmm. And that's why we're having these podcasts is because we want to get, you know, one side or the other shake hands at the end. And we're all hunters to, you know, after this podcast, we're all friends and we're all hunters. So yeah, on yeah. the same team at the yeah. end of it. A hundred percent want to bring everybody together. I want to go down the path of like disease. Yeah. And I would like to talk to you guys about that and see what your opinions are. So we, we're from Ohio and uh, we're from Northeastern Ohio, but Southern Ohio got affected by EHD real bad this year. And they 
they definitely pointed it at bait piles and it's it's kind of funny like the the demographic of where it happened is a very like baity area a lot of amish in the area and a lot of like big hill big timber kind of stuff where there's not a lot of ag so it definitely got affected where people are baiting a lot and i want to know what your guys's thoughts are on that yeah do you you want you sound like you want to go ahead and talk on that dj well for me you know like i like i i kind of have a love-hate relationship with some of these studies sometimes because you're like mother nature is cruel like it's true and sometimes like we, we love to think that we know exactly how many fish are in the ocean we know exactly how many deer we got running around the woods and in all reality we don't we can try to learn from the information that we gathered from research, but then again, a lot of the research and the study they do is just from, from one area, but then that means that somewhere completely across the other side of the state, that's what's supposed to be happening to you too. So I got CWD down in, in Southern Ohio, so then that means in Northern Ohio, you guys can't put out any more bait. That's like halfway across the other side of the state like how is that affecting me here like like you got deer that are traveling that far across state lines like what are they driving chevy ford like, I, like <laughs> they wouldn't make it if it was a chevy like, right kev <laughs> you know and to me and that's and that's kind of what my mind goes to when it, when it happens to those types of situations we've been dealing with that in minnesota here for a while where there's one one county in the southern part of the state that uh that CWD actually happening at a deer farm. So that meant that other places across the state were then now being affected by CWD, which meant that they had automatically put a ban out on feeding or supplemental feeding in the off season in certain areas across the state. And I look at I look at it all the time right now on some of uh, the Facebook groups that I'm a part of for Minnesota hunting and stuff like that. And you just got people that are just like reaming the minnesota dnr they're asking where these studies are being done at and, and how many deer like what's the herd size looking like and how can you definitively know that cwd started right then and there in that specific county in that specific deer herd that you're telling me who i'm all the way across the other end of the state that now i can't do what i want to do to take care of my herd as best i can despite the the, the winter that they just went through that was damn near eight months long Despite everything else that they went through with the wolves and the coyotes and having seven, eight foot of snow, damn, they're by the end of, of June, damn, they're going into July. <laughs> now, I can't do what I want to do to take care of my herd. And it's like, that's what's actually happening here in my state, Minnesota. And I see it a lot, but sometimes I, I often disagree and I really want to know, like, what's the actual truth of what's going on? Like, how is this effective? What, what let you know that in your studies that you've conducted amongst this one herd that there should be new rules implemented going forward like how many times have you dealt your little experiments with your variables and stuff like that with trials with banning baiting or banning supplemental feeding and disease within a specific herd i get it if you're doing it within a controlled amount like an environment for say maybe five six years something something an average lifespan of a deer to kind of see how it affects from start to finish from fawn to death like, I get that, but we'll never know because they'll never tell us the truth, you know, and, and I get it and I understand it. It, it. It's frustrating, but at the same time, it's like they have to do something if something is happening. I get right. it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't really have a whole ton to add to what 
DJ said. I I pretty much agree with most of what he what he said there. I think uh, yeah, it's really hard to um, you know deter that information, right? Like it, it, you know, we're talking about Ohio, which you know, a baiting state. I know the area that you guys are talking about. I've been there. I hunted there, um, and uh, you know, if you know because bait's there, they pointed to the bait. You know, if there was no bait there and everybody was just using salt blocks, like they would point it to the salt block. If there was no salt blocks and no bait there, then they'd point it to the water, right? Or maybe there was another sick animal that got contracted from, you know, some type of midge or some type of flea or, you know, something would be said as to what the cause is. Um, But at the end of the day, like if there was no bait at all, like deer use licking branches like they communicate on that like saliva is is past these deer don't you know they're not completely soulless animals where they never make any contact right like they clean it they clean themselves they're they're in swamps they're in you know they they're walking you know across you know nasty dirt or feces or you know they step over a dead animal like there's so many variables out there like honestly it really could be anything and you know for them to point it right at only bait in that area is kind of like sure i guess but like so can we how do you how do you do that can we both agree on both sides of the fence that maybe the dnr is just kind of using bait as an excuse to point yeah. to point towards <laughs> disease yeah. scapegoat, or do I, I you think, think would, that there's some legitimacy behind that? I think there's there's probably definitely there could be some legitimacy around that, right? But like, unless it's in a controlled environment and like you put the disease in the bait, right, and then they contract it, and then you release them inside it, you know, another controlled environment and like years worth of studies that's the only way you could really like figure that out i I think it'd be pretty hard to say oh hey the southeast you know ohio is a pretty heavy baiting area and you know we found 10 deer that died off of you know ehd so you know it's from the bait yeah i think i think the kind of bounce back and i'm no expert or biologist by all means but i've i've done a fair amount of reading and i've kind of educated myself on baiting because i once was a big baiter and now i really don't bait but um what i'm getting at is i i think that the bait itself is not like oh it that deer ate corn and 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 they got whatever disease and passed it to the next year i think it's just baiting gets blamed because it is a general location where a lot of deer can meet up and communicate and mingle we can say so i think that's why baiting gets the bad rap on the diseases because it's it's not really like the food the mineral the corn whatever you may be feeding it that's not what's causing the diseases if anything that's boosting their immune system right but the reason why baiting gets the trash is because you've got let's say 20 30 deer hitting it every night you know, and, and then if one deer is sick, if you didn't have that bait pile, you wouldn't have 20, 30 deer visiting the same spot that six, that sick deer visited. So I think to not to defend the ODNR, not to defend like one side of the fence or the other, I just wanted to throw my opinion out on that is it's not the bait. It's just the location where a lot of deer can meet up and mingle, in my opinion. So, yeah, so I guess I never, I, I never really thought about it like that. I, I honestly, I would probably feel more strongly on that side of things because you know, if you use the analogy, like, you know, we were all young once. Like, you go to a club that's got a hundred people in it. Like, the chances of you being sick, you know, after the weekend or maybe like you just kind of don't feel the best is 
is pretty high, especially if you were pretty social. Like it didn't have anything to do with the drinks or the or the food. It's just being in an environment that has a lot of people and you're coming in contact with a lot of people that, you know, potentially one of them could be sick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think that's basically the DNR stance and I'm, and don't quote me on that. I'm not putting words in their mouth, but from what I've read, um, that's normally their biggest argument when they want to take away baiting or whatever. It's not, it's not like, Oh, we want to, you know, take away baiting because corn's doing this to their diet. It's not that it's just, it's a general location where a lot of deer meet up. Yeah. And it can spread disease a lot faster. Well, that makes sense in my mind because like those 20 or 30 deer are probably not going to the same licking branch. Um, Correct. And, and like you don't have trail camera pictures of, you know, five to eight deer at a time at this one location versus a bait pile, right. which Correct. they probably Correct. do. Correct. Gotcha. Right. Yeah. I have a couple other questions for you guys. So um, I want to talk about the tradition of baiting. Um, and then I want to talk about the woodsmanship um, either gained or lost from one side of the fence or the other. So whatever one you guys want to talk about first, um, like the family tradition of baiting, and then I want to talk about the woodsmanship or the or uh, being an outdoorsman, I guess start we can the, say. Start with the family tradition one. Yeah. Go ahead. So DJ, you, you are on the side of baiting, so why don't you start mm-hmm. us off? I'm sure that, you know, uncle, grandpa, dad, whoever oh. helped you out, <laughs> you know, down the road. And I'm, I assume that you started on a bait pile, like most of us sitting here. I did at least. My dad put me on a bait bait pile and said, "Here, here's how you hunt whitetail." Well, yeah, I I absolutely did. I can say that that's how I hunted. And outside of a bait pile, you know, we did deer dog hunting in Southeast Georgia. Like you know, that's that's what we would do. We would run dogs on a weekend, and then we would sit in our uh, our ground blinds during the week if we had opportunities. And I won't say that it. It did not help me grow as a hunter because it's the experience. Like as hunters, we grow and we learn from my experiences. So I have experience baiting. I have experience hunting in non-baiting areas. And I I liked it at first growing up because it's not as if like where I, I grew up hunting at in, in Northeast Florida where like I had a ton of deer that would show up to a bait pile. Like, we were lucky if we saw maybe five or six deer in an entire month of hunting. Mm. Like, that that, that just oh. was, that's with putting corn out. Wow. Now, come nighttime, you know, due to some pressure, you'd have multiple deer, multiple bucks showing up on, on any given night, but it doesn't guarantee they're going to kill a deer. It doesn't guarantee that they're going to show up during daylight. And it doesn't guarantee that it's going to make you a better hunter. You know, you get some people... That are really great at hunting with bait because that's what they've done their entire life. They know how to play the wind right. They know what kind of bait to put out. They know what the neighbors are doing. They know how to they know how to position themselves a ground blind or a shooting house is what we like to call them down south. Uh, they know how to position their shooting houses on certain pieces of their property. It can be very effective. You know, I, I watch it all the time with a uh, old Culpepper with Hunt Club TV. I watch him and his dad kill great bucks. Just about every year in Southeast Georgia, so do the bone collector guys, and they're hunting bait, and they also do have food plots, but they're not out there hunting those food plots and everything every day, every evening. They're doing it when the time is right. Like A lot of people have this big misconception about growing up in the tradition of of hunting with bait that you, you can't be an effective hunter or you won't be an effective hunter because all you know how to do is go down to the beach store, buy a 50-pound sack of corn, and go sit in the shooting house. And wait for them to come out. You can't kill a deer. You don't know how to hunt. 
you take that bait away, you can't kill anything. And for some individuals, they're absolutely right. And for some individuals, they're dead wrong. It just, it all depends on, on who the individual is and their woodsmanship is like what you're saying. And sometimes you, you have to take all those experiences to become a better hunter. And that starts from however you were started, whether it was down south baiting or in the Midwest or Northeast without baiting or West Coast without baiting and stuff like that. It, it just, it all depends on the individual, you know. And in my personal journey, I can sit here and tell you that I have only ever killed, I want to say what, two, two bucks hunting over bait down in Florida my entire life growing up. And then I've killed four Midwest bucks with no bait. Like, do I like the experience of hunting with bait? Yeah, I, I liked it when I was younger, but also I had to learn how to grow as a hunter. I took information from Midwest Whitetail. I took information from Drury Outdoors. I took information from YouTube channels. I took all the information that I could that was accessible to me to glory be to God, the good old internet, the great beyond and i was able to start growing effectively i started using onyx hunt i started knocking on doors getting permission and i was able to start then effectively killing deer because i had to lose the mindset that i was still hunting down south and i knew i had to transition and learn how to hunt areas effectively i had to identify bedding areas i had to identify natural food source i had to identify water i had to identify hunting pressure i had to identify all those extra things that you have to do as a hunter and do I feel like I would have been able to do those things had I been still hunting down south? No, absolutely not, because that's not what was required of me in that specific location. Being in the Midwest, that's what was required from me. So for me, my tradition with growing up with that, I had to get away from that. I had to learn. I had to grow. So DJ, real I like it. It was fun. DJ, real quick before we go over to Vince, um, I wanted, I want to know just kind of like a yes or no kind of question. Do you feel that you would not be sitting at this podcast talking to us right now if your family member, whoever whoever introduced you to the outdoors, did not put you over bait? Yeah. You you still think that you would be here? Yeah, because um, I haven't hunted over bait in years, and it's like in no, I'm talking I'm talking like as a as a child, like yeah to get to get you into the outdoors maybe i needed to word the question better like i let's use me for example my old man put me over bait i had success over bait i can promise you i have the personality of if i don't get something fairly quickly i move on so yeah. it's just because i'm impatient so mm -hmm. i feel that if my old man and i i will say this about corn right now I feel that if my old man wouldn't have put me over corn and I wouldn't have shot my first deer with a crossbow at 10 yards at a bait site, I may not be here right now because I wouldn't have had those positive experiences growing up. I would have, because we can, we can all say, you want a kid to get in the outdoors, what do you do? You put a bag of corn out yeah. and you put them in a blind, you give them a little video game or a, a tablet and you wait for a deer to show up and then once the deer shows up, Junie shoots him, and then he's he falls in love with it. But I can say one thing. If you take a kid to public land and you make him walk two miles back for an opportunity to maybe see a deer, he ain't going to want to do it. 
Yeah. So, I mean, I, and I, I'm not trying to like one side or the other. I just wanted your opinion. Like, cause personally I would say that there's probably a good chance that I would have had enough negative experiences where it would have ruined it for me as a young child. You would have just been burnt out. I would have got now granted if I would have got into the outdoors in a later stage in life where say my parents or my family members weren't an out, they weren't outdoorsy. Maybe that situation would be a little bit different because I would have been more mature but as a child, I think that I would have had too many negative experiences. So that's kind of what that's kind of what I was getting at with you. If you think that yeah. you would still be here, or if you if you think that you would have packed taking it up, taking a different route in yeah. life. Yeah, I I I'd still be here because for me, cool. like hunting was my dad could have had no corn out there on the ground, right? Like I'm hunting, cool. like. That's all I've ever wanted to do. I remember being the only black kid at Hiller Elementary School. <laughs> I thought I was the absolute shit because I was short for picture day and my real tree camel. I want everybody to know awesome. that I hunted. Everybody to know that I hunted. So it didn't, it, in my opinion, for me as a young child, it didn't matter to me whether there was corn or not. Like, cool. dad's taking me hunting, I'm going. Gotcha. Uncle's cool. taking me hunting, I'm going. Like, gotcha. Had cool. they not taken me, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd be different because I, I wasn't shown what the outdoors was. I wasn't given that opportunity. So, okay. yeah. Yeah, now, Vince, feel free to take the mic. Yeah, so totally different on the opposite end of the spectrum on, on, on my side. Um, you know, I've been I've been hunting since I was, was 12. And I, you know, actually was not put in front of a bait pile when I started. Um, most of the people I knew were, um, but my stepfather, rest his soul, um, you know, he actually didn't even ask me to go hunting, but <laughs> every time hunting season went around, um, it, it, it came around three years. And by that time I had just reached like, uh, just had turned 12 and I had asked to go because every time this guy went out, he'd be out for one to three hours and come back. Uh, with a deer. And at that time, I think you could take like five or six deer, uh, like during the season and he'd only hunt maybe a total of 10 times and he'd fill our freezer every single year. And I just didn't understand how he could do that. And, uh, to put it in more perspective, he was a guy that used a, a recurve. So he was pretty primitive wow. he was and a killer. Yeah. <laughs> and just to give it some more context, you know, he was six, three, 285 pounds and he still hunted like you know that's it's he's one of those those special guys and i could never figure like uh when i was that young and i finally went with him you know uh, i didn't learn anything it was hey here's a gun sit here at this tree and if you see if it's brown shoot it <laughs> mm -hmm. i'll be back and then he would go and walk whatever place that we were at i couldn't tell you if it was public or private back then but he would he would walk it and push you know the the deer to me and then if it came out then i would shoot it and like that was like that was the extent of my hunting um i think you you brought up a great point like you know the positive experience um i think if uh if i didn't have a positive experience early on i don't know if i if i would be here because there was a handful of times that that we went and i mean it was probably one of the most boring times of my life and that's it was just that's just the truth um and but you know after he he passed um 
you know, I, I took a huge stint of not hunting. So I hunted from 12 to 19 and then I didn't hunt again until I was like 29. Hmm. And it was because I never actually learned anything. Like it was, he was so good. And I like, there, there was just the communication barrier. And then when I got back into it, I told myself, okay, I want to, you know, I want to hunt and I don't know anything about it. So how can I get him in? And so I used bait. Right. And it was instant, you know, and deer came in right away. I was able to get a couple kills under my belt. And then, you know, I had started to get a, a lot of deer on camera that, I, you know, everybody dreams about getting, and I would get them there day and night all the time, but I could never get in front of them. And I hunted over top of this bait pile area for a couple of years and just never could get an opportunity at, at those deer. Like, plenty of deer just not those deer and then the one time i left that pile and went out i had an opportunity at a deer that i had been trying to harvest for like four years hmm. and that's when it clicked for me that like okay hey i really need to get out outside this box and at that point i wanted to just learn how to you know really increase the woodsmanship and the only way i knew how to do that was to you know like dj said like go out and you know identify water you go out and identify beds and, and try to figure that stuff out you know and figure out where they live to be able to you know make that make that happen and the only way for me to do that was to go to them and not let them come to me and now that i've done that and i've done that for a handful of years you know i've i've developed enough skill where i can pick up go to any state that's within the midwest or to the east coast drop a pin and i can you know, get in front of some deer may not be the best deer, but I can get in front of deer fairly quickly mm -hmm. within a few days. Um, and you know, I think to me, that's, that's more rewarding. I've got a question for you, Vince. So you said that you got back in, you took a little break from hunting and then you got back into it. Um, yeah. let's say you didn't hunt over bait when you got over, when you got back into it and you were, you were reading the land, you were reading the sign, you were trying to be an outdoorsman. Um, or a sportsman, how, I, maybe I should have thought about this in my head before asking the question. I'm trying to ask, like, um, how, how many years do you think that would have cut off of your learning experience if you just wouldn't have baited? You mean, like, how many years would it have taken? Or like, I guess I don't understand the question. Are you asking how many years did it Are take? You, can you guys help me? Or am I not making any sense? Where I'm at, or? You think that him using bait? got him to kill deer faster and learn quicker no i'm saying the, the other opposite way. yeah yeah you're saying if he hadn't used bait he would be a he would be yeah further ahead now. so yeah that that's what i was trying to ask thank you so if you wouldn't have used bait how much farther ahead in your hunting career do you think you would have been or you would be right now because he mentioned that he after hunting um, bait for a while you finally killed a better deer after you got off hunting bait. well you encountered yeah yes. yeah yeah yes yeah, yeah, that's a great question. I've never actually thought about that. But now that you say that, I, I would say that I would have less of a tool chest than what I have right now if I would have started without bait. And I say that because the one thing that bait taught me, um, like at, at that time, it was basically starting from the ground up, right? It was a really easy way to have deer uh, come in front of me without me doing anything. So I could just sit there and I could, if I didn't want to shoot anything, I could just sit there and watch deer be deer for long periods of time. So I could see how deer interact with each other. 
I could see the times of days that they like to come out, um, you know, comparing it to like weather conditions and stuff like that. Everything that deer do as deer, it allowed me to have a visual to see that. Um, and then I was able to take that and then start to apply it outside of that box. Whereas if I didn't do that, then you're kind of starting with a blank slate of things that you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Like, you know, I've had plenty of times in the beginning where, you know, I was sitting there watching them on bait and, you know, you don't see it very often, but, you know, saw a deer make a rub in the daylight. I saw a deer, you know, physically make a scrape and do all that. And that was something I had never seen before besides on TV. And you only see certain parts of that. And I, but I got to see it from beginning to end. So I got to see the time of day they came out what his body language was coming in you know was there a doe with him what time of year was it i could kind of see all this you know picture perfect motion happen and kind of how the deer operate whereas you know maybe i would never have even known you know what a rub is or how that gets created you know um you know prior to that no you may it's a valid point that's a great answer because i can personally say that i've learned so much on deer body language hunting over bait at a young age you know just like the ear movements and the tail movements and just like demeanor like i appreciate everything about that in a baiting aspect because without my old man putting me on the bait i wouldn't learn those those social cues that you don't learn unless you see a lot of deer right so like he took that learning experience and he cut it in half for me because now i'm seeing you know, 10 deer a sit over bait where if I wasn't over that bait, I I may not see that many deer. Now, the other side of the fence, like, you know, the woodsmanship kind of suffered for a long time until I got to a point like you were talking, Vince, about, you know, it's time to step out of my bubble. And I feel like everybody's, you know, DJ, you even mentioned it that, you, you know, you had to step out of your bubble as well. And I think, I think that, you know, starting off on bait, it's not terrible, it's not the greatest thing in the world, but I got like a neutral stance. As long as you step out of your bubble, that's the biggest thing. Once you get to a, a certain stage in your hunting career, and now I'm not, I don't want to throw an age number out there because everybody's career is a little bit different. So as long as you get to a point in your hunting career where you're like, okay, I need to get away from this bait, do it. Because I promise you, when I made that transition, and I'm sure these guys right here can, can argue it as well, as soon as I made that transition of I'm not hunting over bait anymore, my it was like a light switch like everything changed the amount of big deer that i saw and screwed up on was insane so (laughs) i just wanted to bring up that point yeah and not to say you can't have a big deer walking in front of you on on bait because that the very last time i hunted over bait was a handful of years ago and kevin i don't kevin might know the story you told me a little bit about it but that was it yeah so yeah, one one of the first times I was in Kansas, I hunted over a, a bait pile, um, and it was the first night. And out of nowhere, uh, a true one seventy four mainframe eight walks around the corner. I get to watch him walk in. Um, and anybody that doesn't believe me, I'm happy to send you the video. Actually, actually, please, please send us the video and we'll put it in right now. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll find it and I'll, I'll, I'll send it to you guys. But, yeah. uh, I got to watch him for several minutes, walk in about as slow as a deer could walk in about as comfortable as a deer could walk in head down and he stops perfect broadside, gives me the best shot in the world. 
um, you know, and shoot right over his back at, at 19 yards. You know, so it's like Ouch. the point I'm making is that, you know, regardless of what you're going after, like hunting is still hunting. Yeah. Like it can be difficult. It doesn't matter if it presents itself as the most easiest thing in the world, right? Because bait, baiting can be very easy, but also soak in the most perfect piece of ground um and shoot you know off the back porch type of deal it it just you know it's still hunting and it's it's difficult so i think you know whatever you know whatever makes you happy whatever whatever's legal you know then then do that um you know but kind of like you said you know just encourage you to kind of step outside the box once you feel like you've reached your goals like step outside the box and you know, I, I can promise you won't you won't be dissatisfied. You you will get a lot of gratification out of out of what you're doing. So Yeah, I can't emphasize that enough. And I, I'm sure you guys could talk about it for hours as well. I can't preach like if anybody's listening to this podcast and they want to take something home, please step out of your bubble and just try something different. You know, try and, to and, try to hunt a different style and try for a while too. Don't just go out one or two times and then you don't have success or see something and then give up and go back to the bait pile. Just put in some work and yeah, effort like and learn something. A whole new season, each time. even yeah. maybe like just a whole season. Dedicate. Okay, I am not going to hunt over bait this season. Right. And we're not saying to never hunt over bait again. If it's legal, like we were both, we're all saying, if it's legal, it's legal. But maybe just try it. And maybe hunting that style will help you if you want to go back to hunting over bait learn to hunt over bait much better than to yeah. versus just the same ladder stand 20 yards away no matter what the wind is you're still sitting <laughs> in that same stand and that bait yep. location it just i mean the deer catch on yeah they they pattern you just as fast as you pattern them yeah so. oh yeah and, and it all depends on how you look at it too like you step outside that bubble and get away from you know a, a, a true bait pile like there is natural resource bait out there that yeah. deer treat as like yeah. candy Right, yeah, where that, white oaks, that red big oaks, that you want, chestnuts, that, that big deer that you want knows that corn pile, right? And he stays away from it during the day because he knows what happens there. He's seen it from a distance, but you know this this autumn olive or maybe this this green buyer, you know he is he is all about that, and yeah. that's where you can catch him slipping. But you would never have known that if you wouldn't step outside your bubble. But he's there two or three times during the day between 11 and 2.30 p.m. Yeah. You know. And the other thing that, that I think a lot of people are missing about, too, about baiting is, say, for instance, you've been waiting for that one trophy buck to get up out of that bed. It's the middle of the rut. That hot doe gets hungry, and she comes to the bait pile. And there comes your opportunity. Like, I feel like that is kind of underrated about baiting as well, too. Because have any of you guys ever had that happen to you where you're waiting on a doe or a hot doe to bring old boy to the to the big pile? Yeah. 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 Yep. So. No, that's, that's a valid tactic as well. I mean, you know, a lot of guys will hunt bait and early season. Uh, obviously, late season is a great time to hunt bait, but a lot of guys will hunt bait almost too early. They get they get burned out of it. They're like, oh, you know, this is dumb. This don't work. But to DJ's point, you know, if you hunt bait during the rut, like what what are we trying to do when it's the rut? I mean, it's not it's ain't rocket science. You're hunting the ladies. Where are right. the ladies gonna be? Yeah, they're gonna food. be on the corn. Yeah, food. so it's like it's common. You know? Yeah, yep. and you know, those natural resources they're gonna be there. And I, and for me, the other thing that I love about it too is just watching Drury outdoors like all these years. 
watching Mark and Terry and all those guys who got those food plots that are just primed and they're just waiting for the right wind and the right set in October and November to go kill something. Yeah. Yeah. Them boys them boys got it figured out. I'll say yeah. that. They yeah. kill some giants. But do you guys have anything or do you guys have anything, uh, Vince or DJ, that you want to talk about? Any points that brought up? Uh, I, I have a question for everybody here that's not bait related. Yeah, let's go for it. Let's go for it. After that. Um, yeah, so one question I, I've been asking people that I, I keep coming in contact with or, or new people that I meet that's, you know, that's into hunting or has an obsession, an addiction, I guess you would say, is like I do, is, uh, you know, bringing kids into the outdoors, like specifically your personal kid, like your kids you know, how early is too early? Because there's a big difference between taking your kid hunting with you, getting everything set up, and, and here you go, Jimmy. There's a deer right there. Go ahead and pull the trigger Yeah. versus, hey, I'm taking my son Jimmy hunting, and I'm going to let Jimmy carry a loaded gun, and we're going to walk 500 yards, and he's going to walk with me with a loaded gun and, and do the whole thing. Like, how early is too early? Because you see people out there that are they're like, their kids are with them with a five, hmm. 10, 12. Yeah. Like what's the age? Cause there's a huge difference between that. I'm so, just kind of curious in your guys' opinion. So I started going with my dad when I was like third, fourth grade, like tagging along with him. And what he would do would be like, set me up along this tree. And then he maybe would go another 15 or 20 yards up in a tree and sit there. And I had no weapon. I didn't, I wasn't allowed to start carrying a weapon until I was in sixth grade. So that would be like 12, yeah, 10. 11? Yeah. 11 or 12, yeah, probably. Probably. 12, so, yeah, somewhere around. So, there. and I also feel like it has to do with the maturity of the kid. Um, mm. You know, I've I, seen, I was going to say I've that. seen kids that are 12, 13, you know, the same age I was when I was hunting that have no right to own <laughs> or to carry a weapon or anything like that, let alone, you know, taking a life of an animal because a lot of times they don't, they can't process almost like, you know, taking a life of something, in my opinion. Like, I, th I think a maturity Great. level has to be there versus like an age but yeah i mean age is a good category to like most kids are a certain maturity by a certain age type thing i feel like i i couldn't agree more with what kevin said so like he literally stole words out of my mouth my first comment was going to be it's not an age thing it's a maturity thing and my second comment was which he already covered was they have to understand the concept of taking a life because i feel like so many parents and I don't have children to begin with, um, so I, I, I haven't experienced this yet. And I haven't, and I'm sure I'll make mistakes during the process of taking my kids hunting. But, you know, the process of taking an animal, like, I don't, I still think that, I think there's a lot of adults that really don't understand it either. Like, you are taking a life. Yeah. Like, the amount of responsibility that is on your shoulders while you pull that trigger or while you draw your bow back or whatever it may be. Like, you got to sit back and think, like, God created that animal. It's living, it's breathing, it's walking in front of you, and I'm trying to kill it. You know, like, we have to understand that there's life and death. It's not It's not the size of the rack. It's not, oh, I'm going to post this on social media and tag my buddies. It's, it's not that. Like, it, I would never let my son or daughter, once I have children, go out there for, like, a publicity thing. You know, and if, if they did do that, I think that I would have... I would have failed as a father if they weren't as appreciative as I am in my hunting journey. I don't yeah. want to get too biblical with it, but that's just my opinion. Yeah. Well, sure. to touch on what you said, like 
the actual killing of the animal is probably my least favorite thing of the whole process. Like just taking the life, like, you know, it puts food in the freezer and all that stuff, but like actually killing it, it's just like, man, that's not my favorite thing. And that's, that's probably weird to hear of a hunter saying that, but like, it's not, I can vouch, I can vouch for Kevin. We went to Indiana on a, on a public land challenge basically. And he shot a buck on the second, third day, third day there, second day hunting, second day hunting. And he put, you put a great shot on the deer. It's on video. It's on YouTube. Please check it out if you have time or if anybody's listening to this, please go check it out. Kevin draws back, smacks this buck. Looks like a great shot. We think that the broadhead kind of deflected a little bit off of a rib and it was just, it was just on, it was just unfortunate circumstances and went in perfect and then came out kind of like a paunch shot. And we gave the deer a couple hours, and we we thought that the old boy would be piled up somewhere. Yeah. And we snuck up on him. We tracked him for a while, found a couple beds, but we noticed that the beds were all within like 10 yards. Like he'd get up a little bit, he'd bed down, he'd get up a little bit, bed down. So we knew he was hurting. And um, we get to the last bed before we found him in a bed. And uh, moral of the story is, long story short, Kevin walks up there, puts another arrow in him. The first thing that he does... Like, I'm all happy, like, yeah, let's go, you know, we got our first our first buck of the challenge done, and, like, first thing Kevin does, he looks at me and goes, man, I hate that. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you talking about? You just filled your first out-of-state buck tag, and he's yeah. like, man, that deer suffered, and I hate that. Yeah. And it just shows, like, that maturity of being an outdoorsman is, like, a lot of people don't have that. Well, and I respect the animals, too, so, like, that thing was in pain and suffering for, from, like, eight something till noon when we went back, and, like... Yeah. You know, just knowing that I did that to it, I didn't like that. Yeah, and 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 that's what I and that's that's this is why we we're having yeah. this podcast because you know great minds think alike. That is what you need to instill on your children. They also have to feel feel that they can't just say, "Oh well, we'll get the next one." Yeah, like if my child made a bad shot, I would want him to stay up all night thinking about it. I, I don't want him to go to bed. Yeah, because the minute you go to bed. You don't care. It's it's in the past now. You know, it's like, matter. oh, there's another one around the corner. Dad will get me on another buck. No, I don't want that. Yeah. I want him to not sleep at night knowing that he, <laughs> I know it sounds rough, but yeah. like, yeah, does. I don't know. I guess I'm just a little, maybe that's why I don't have kids. <laughs> <laughs> Let DJ answer it. Yeah, DJ, well, what are your thoughts? I started fairly early. Like when my dad would take me deer dog hunting, I was still, I guess, the story that they told me is that I was maybe six, almost seven months old. My dad would deer dog hunt. He'd keep me in the back seat of the Chevrolet in the car seat, and he'd go out, try to kill one, and then come back and check on me. You know, every now and then. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. For as long for as long as I can remember, you know, I always hunted. You know, like you know, I had my uncle teaching me and telling me about guns. I got my first actual gun, New England, no New England style four ten Winchester single shot. I remember shooting my first squirrel. I was maybe six, maybe seven. And I got two children of my own right now. My my son, Colton, he's six, going on seven this August. And then my youngest is my daughter, Mila. She's three, going on four this August. And son isn't so much into it right now. He's not even really into guns. So that, like, it, as passionate as I am about hunting, it, it, it kind of stings in the yeah, moment. Yeah, but yeah. again, it's like, you know, my daughter is giving me those Sydney Wells kind of vibes right now, but she's like she's Sydney Wells. Go. That's awesome. Yeah, she's, she's giving me, she's giving me those kind of vibes right now because at two, I took her grouse hunting with me. She loved it. I just had her walk behind me. She had her vest and everything like that on. I had her stay maybe almost nine, ten yards behind me. 
Loved him. Cried, cried when she saw me shoot my first grouse <laughs> with her. And then when she understood that it was dead and it couldn't hurt her, she's just petting it, just touching it, just talking to it, like all those types of things. That she's too. She just, she had, honestly, she had just turned to it at that point too, because that was maybe that was before I shot. Uh, I shot my last whitetail in Minnesota, so that was. It was, yeah, it was October. It was early October, but um, I feel like it's it's going to be more or less, you know, like you guys are saying, you know, are they ready? Do they understand what we're going to do? Do they understand the process? Do they understand the work that's going to have to go into it? Do they yeah. are they ready and willing? Are they going to be mature about the entire situation? Like, and if there's anything that I feel like, you know what, you're not taking scouting serious. I can't take you. You know what? You're not taking the shooting seriously right now. You know, I can't take you. You're not understanding what we're going to do. Those types of things that relate to safety and maturity. It's going to all come a time, I hope. And um, I don't know. Like, I've taken my daughter. She's been two. I have not taken my son because he's just like, oh, no, I don't want to go. Okay, dad. Yep, fine. But um, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it's what you guys are saying, you know, oh, yeah. level of maturity, level of safety, you know, situation. Do they understand? Yeah. 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 Great answer. Yeah. Great answer. Cool. Vince, I got, yeah. Do you have, I, got a, I have two more questions. I think you guys would enjoy if we have enough time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Fire away. Yeah. Let's do it. Uh, okay. So I, I, I yeah, I want to hear everybody's opinion on this one. Cause I have, I have my own, um, and this is something that floats around social media. And I'm sorry if any of you guys have ever done this. I don't know, so don't <laughs> don't uh, don't roll me over here. But uh, uh, talking in the context of like the grip and grin, right? Like you you shoot an animal, and now you want to take a picture with it. Completely fine. What is everyone's stance on? I'm sure you've seen them, but someone will shoot an animal and they'll take a picture with it. But maybe they're like, you know they're laying down with it or like using it as like a sleep rest or something, or uh, you guys kind of know what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. Maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe they kind of got it over the head or something and they're like, kind of like holding it like a, like a jacket or something crazy where it's, it's almost, uh, disrespectful, like, disrespectful or just distasteful. Um, to me anyways, um, what is your guys's uh, opinion on, the stuff that's that's actually being shown on social media in that regard because of you know the the naysayers or the antis that we have against us and kind of how that looks because everything is kind of public nowadays it's not the same yeah so i find uh most of that stuff very disrespectful like for the animal and stuff like this past year there was a guy that shot a turkey came in, threw it on the table, and, like, started giving it CPR. I mean, and that blew up. And I was just like, That's man, stupid. why would you do that? And, like, the promotion of it and stuff. And like you said, it goes to the opposite side of, you know, the hunting community. And, like, they use it against us then all the time. Yeah. So I, I personally don't don't care for that stuff, like, like what you're, you know, saying. So my personal opinion is... I feel like Cromer should go too because we we're not giving him an I, opinion. Yeah, that's, that's okay. Go ahead, Cromer. No, I mean I, I agree. I think it I think it really does um I think what you were kind of insinuating it does us a disservice with the old PETA crowd and um that we don't respect the animals, we don't respect the game that we're doing, we're not taking it seriously, we don't respect the lives of the animal. Um I at the same time it's like you wanna you know, we wanna have fun as hunters as well. 
So I don't want to say, you know, you, you can't do it or it's the worst thing in the world, but um, I definitely see the, the disrespect and I definitely see um, how that can be used against us. And I would lean on the same side as you guys saying, like, let's, you know, take it seriously when we're doing it. So my opinion, and this is why Cromer and I are really good friends, is because I agree with m- most of what he said. I am okay with, like, when you said, like, the laying on the deer picture, like, kind of arms back. Like, I know what picture you're talking about. Like, man, work's done kind of thing. I'm okay with that because as long as you're – I disagree with the the CPR on the table of the turkey, and I'm sure all of you guys seen that video. It went, it went viral. But, like, I disagree with that to an extent. And I disagree with, like, anything, like – you know, I, a lot of guys will take pictures of them like shotgunning a beer off of a deer's, like they'll pop the beer can off of a deer's rack or something like that. I disagree with stuff like that, but I do, I do agree with what Cromer was saying about having fun. We can't, we can't just be here in black and white and just you know grin behind the antlers and like, you know, I, I'm the first one to say that I, I respect any animal that I kill, and I never used to be that way. And I'll be the first one to say that when I was younger, I was ruthless, 22, running through the woods. Anything that moved was dead. Now that I'm a little older, you know, I respect nature and I understand what's going on. But, like, I still want to have fun and I still want to, I still want it to make it look enjoyable for maybe somebody that doesn't hunt. And if I'm out there having a good time with my buddies, joking around and... Yeah. laughing and you know Bring taking the next generation in or something yeah, it might it might draw attention to Entice somebody that's somebody. like hey it looks like they're having a good time i think you know? what you're saying is there's a fine line yeah that's what you're saying and i yeah. think that it's you have to be uh yeah it's just a fine line and you got to know when it's too much and when it's not enough you know yeah. just when you go too yeah. far i would yeah i would agree yeah, yeah. With that. go ahead dj yeah that's our opinions i feel like you know People will always be people. So yeah, just me as a person, I know I don't have any control over anybody, right? You know, like you can only control yourself, your actions, your morals, and your ethics. And if someone else has different morals, ethics, and stuff like that that you don't agree with, or you don't like. You know, you know, say a prayer for them, keep living. Like you know, that's all you can do. But yeah, um, I love that answer. I've, I've 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 seen people do it. I know one guy who I personally. Watch him post a picture of it, and he makes uh he makes strings. He's a guy that's out of Kansas, and he took a picture of him laying next to like maybe a hundred and fifty, one hundred and sixty inch buck in Kansas. But he was like laying next to it, had like his feet crossed at the ankles, and then he had like the drone shot of him just like laying next to it, like one hand behind the head. And then I thought about it, you know, and and it was like you guys were all saying earlier. It's like as a hunter, I, I know what it's significant. Like you know, I know what it. I know the significance of it, but also perception to those who don't know the significance of what's going on. Yeah. How is it being viewed by those others who literally wake up every day and they lobby and they, they <laughs> sign bills, they try to buy tags so that way we don't have those opportunities to hunt. Yeah. How much of that is happening and being taken out of context and now as a hunter, I'm viewed that way because that picture went viral. You know, yeah. that turkey that got the CPR went viral. So when I tell somebody I'm a turkey hunter, that means I do that too, like that person they just saw in that video. Yeah. And yeah. I just, do I agree with it personally? 
you would never see my black ass doing anything like that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> other people would do what they want because, you know, it's a free country. And if that's what they want to do, you know, yeah. all I can do is just, you know, tip my head and just, you know, go on about my business and just shake my head, get back in that Chevrolet and hopefully live to hunt another day. That's all I can do. <laughs> cool. That's awesome. All right, Vince, you have an opinion? Uh, yeah, real quick, DJ, I love all your answers. <laughs> me me like, too. Like, I'm not even, I'm not even sure lying. That, that we, Very and this goes for everybody, but let, I want to make sure I connect with everybody after this because you guys are this is a great group, and I'd, I'd like to continue some of these conversations. DJ's definitely got my brain thinking a little bit here, so I'll probably <laughs> like to have some outside talk. But So I have, I have one more question. Um, this is weird because it's not my podcast. Uh, <laughs> no. I have one more question. I want to hear DJ's answer first, and I'm going to give my opinion last. Okay. If that's, um, what is your definition or opinion on what do you consider uh, a good general big deer? Like, what is a quality deer to you? Like in your eyes, what's a good quality deer? What's a big deer to you? Because a lot of people have a, a different definition. Hold on, before DJ answers, I need I need you to clarify. Good deer and like giant deer are different in my vocabulary. Are you talking about like what is a giant or what is a good deer? The word giant is not in the question. <laughs> what is a good quality big deer? Okay. Well, for me, you know. I'm I'm more or less my goal is when people see my social media and they see me hunting, they see me fishing, like I, I want them to see the passion that I have and for them to be happy with what they harvest, happy with what they catch. To me, I'm all about the individual. Like that like I want you to be happy with what you kill. Like I feel like ever since, you know, sponsors have flooded the hunting industry going back from when the internet became real popular. Like, you just got so many people talking about, like, the size, you know, of a buck's inches and not the size of the memory. And you got these folks that are showing us they're riding around in 2024, $115,000 trucks, you know, wrapped, latest and greatest in point, camo, trail cameras. And at the end of the day, you know, how much is that buck worth to you? You know, why should it matter? what a good buck is to me i didn't put in the time i didn't put in the effort i didn't pay the guide i didn't do the scouting i didn't shoot the reps in the off season i didn't go buy the tags for you i'm not paying the process or the tax term for you so a good buck to me i will only speak about me is he's the one that i earned you know what i mean like he he he's the one that i earned he does not have to be the biggest buck that i've ever shot he doesn't have to be the smallest buck that I ever shot. He has to be the buck that whenever I release a good bow, you know, a good shot from from the latest and greatest off that glory line from down in Hoyt, out west, you know. <laughs> whenever I release, you know, one of those FMJs and Muzzy, because I, you know, I just, I just, I love that, you know, and I could almost cry talking about it. Because yeah, buddy. As, as as a Christian, you know, um. My uncle always taught me, he's like, son, you be grateful for everything that you harvest and that every hunt that you get to go on because you do not know when the next one is going to be your last. You you don't know it, son. 
It's like as much as you want to plan for the next hunt, for next hunting season, you don't know if, if the Lord's going to wake you up tomorrow. You don't know if the Lord's going to allow you to walk out to your truck and to be able to even go hunting. And for me, it's always going to be the animal that you earned. That's, that's just for me. Like, it has to be the one that I feel like, man, I really earned that one. Because I've had situations in life, you know, in 2021, I wounded a mule deer. And then within 24 hours later, you know, I was able to get back on another deer. And I made the shot at a, at a, at a further distance on an even bigger mule deer. And all I wanted to do was cry because I was like, man, like battling the demons inside of my head. You know, I would have been happy with the first one because like I released an arrow and I wanted to get him, right? You know, like I, when I released an arrow, I wanted, I wanted to be a hundred percent clean shot. I want that animal to die with no suffering within eyesight. If I'm lucky. Yeah. And same thing with whitetails, you know. Um, if I shoot it, it's one that I earned. It's one I put time in. It's one that I put effort in. People love to talk about inches, but I would say for me in my area of the United States, specifically speaking, Minnesota, specifically speaking, Carlton County, Minnesota, St. Louis <laughs> County, Minnesota. Dropping pins. I would, I, I would say a good buck would probably be between if you want to talk about inches and size-wise. I know some folks are, would, will still ask when they hear this podcast and stuff like that and see it up on YouTube. What inches? Inches. I'd probably say 140 to 160 because 140 to 160s here is not as common, but it can be depending on the area that you're in. But also, being in northern Minnesota, we do have some deer that are 170 plus. You know, 180 plus, 190 plus, 200 inch plus. But I'd probably say a good deer is going to be the one that you earned. Specifically for those who want to talk about inches, I'd probably say 140 to 160. That's a great answer. And and I and once again, DJ, you just knocked it out. Like, Do we have to even talk after that? Cause <laughs> because like, like just... literally, I was going to start my statement the same way you did, and you said it ten times better than I than I ever would have. You know, whatever makes you happy. Is, is is ultimately yeah. a good deer. Yeah. And that's and and what I was going to go I was going to you know talk a little bit about it but since DJ covered basically everything I wanted to talk about number 1 if it makes you happy and it gets your heart thumping when that deer's walking in that's a good deer in my book. Now going off of inches and if you were to ask me personally I would say now granted I'm at a different stage in my life. I have worked my tail off to be where I'm at in my hunting career. I'd say 160. Yeah, a little bit north of 160 in my in my book because I know you're wanting that inches mark is a good year in my book. Now, granted, like I said, I can't emphasize this enough. I'm at a different stage in my hunting career than, say, Cromer or Kevin or either you two. And just because I think that that's a good deer does not make anything lesser that you may kill or somebody listening to this may kill. Don't think that that's not a good deer because it still is a good deer in your book. Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Cromer. <laughs> I don't have much to say. I don't. I haven't hunted in a while, but to me, um, in my if it was we're talking about personal situations, I would have to gather the property I have, the deer that I have on the property. Um, the opportunities that I have, how much time do I have? I would have to 
put all of those things together personally and then I could come up with a number. And I can't even do that right now because I don't I'm not even really hunting to be honest with you. So to me it just like Matt said it depends on where you're at in your in your career with your hunting and um but yeah, I think it just it's very situational and it's it's a very very personal question which is which is funny because, you know, for me probably if I had to go start right now, I would say a 125 130 would be a good deer for me. Um just because of my situation. That's just what yeah. I have to say. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, I would like to say that um like success isn't measured by inches, it's measured by like adventure and experiences. Um, cause like that, my buck in Indiana is just this little dink, but man, I was up in that tree shaking when that thing came in. Yeah. Matt, gra- you want to grab yeah, it? Yeah, I'll grab it. I was shaking like crazy and Matt was filming me and he was shaking then after the shot and everything. Um, so, but like if I, we had to go buy a numbers thing here in Ohio, um, I would say like one thirties, one forties, but you know, if something smaller came up, I'm not going to pass it up if it gets me going, but yeah, this Scott. is my Indiana buck. Just this little guy but man he did the trick for me you know nothing crazy but yeah i was crazy about it yeah we we went out never scout or never hunted the area never never scouted it the rule was we had to hunt an area where we knew nothing about we had a week and we're all working class like you guys are and we, we went out on national forest ground and we busted our rumps yep and um you know this buck kevin had a goal that he wanted to kill something with a frame and arguably this thing has a frame so it's not a spike i said kevin are you gonna shoot it and he said i'm shooting it and (laughs) as soon as he said that my whole body starts to just shake i will say one thing and i will preach this that is by far and this is not knocking kevin this is just for story purposes that is by far one of the smallest bucks that i have been a part of in the hunting experience or journey and i can honestly say that i have not experienced so much emotion while hunting that that's like top three bucks that i just lost my mind on yeah it's crazy because just the experience of being out of state we had a week we were hunting ground that we've never even seen before we get on him you kill him the spot and stalk afterwards you put another arrow in him i feel like i'm getting quiet in my mic and it just (laughs) that experience like if if i if I showed somebody that deer, they'd laugh at you. Yeah. You know, they'd be like, oh, it's well, a year it's a well, year and a half year old. What'd you shoot that thing for? Yeah. But it's like, man, that was at during, to answer your question, that was a good buck. Yeah. yeah. That day. Yeah. That yeah. day, that week, that was a he was good enough. Yeah. And he was getting it. Yeah. So <laughs> schwacked. I love it. I loved that hunt. That's yeah. good. That's uh that's that's freaking awesome. I, I, I honestly like I am I am so proud to be sitting here talking with all of you guys because every one of you guys answered exactly how I was I was hoping you guys, you guys would answer. Um, yeah, I will uh, second everything that you guys said. The 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 reason for that question is um, I, there's a lot of uh, information out there in our industry right now. Um, there's a lot of uh, information it's hard to sift through especially if you're if you're new um, and I just wanted to to get this topic out there because it's all perspective you know kind of like you said right like your good deer is you know 160 you know the time we got to the end of the conversation you know you're holding the you know holding this yeah 90 you know, this, little, this little frame up and that one yeah. holds uh 
yeah, it holds a super special place in your heart. And that's the deer that was, you know, had you shaken up and you weren't even the one that was shooting the deer. Right. So it's like the point I'm making is, is, you know, go out there and have fun. A big deer is whatever is getting your, your heart going. Um, you know, a good goal could be, you know, whatever's bigger than your last is a great deer, you know, something like that. Um, you know, just, you can't get sucked into what, what you see out there on social media. Um, you know, it's all, you know, self goal oriented, you know, I think it's just, it's just really important to, to be out there and and have fun doing this stuff. Um, and you know, just really making the memories because that's, that's, those are the, those are the true trophies. hundred percent. And I want to make a point real quick and I know we're getting deep into this podcast, but I just want to say something you it's hunting is a stepping stone. And I hope that anybody listening to this or watching this realizes that you cannot the guys that are doing it on TV, we mentioned some big names, juries, et cetera. The guys that are doing it on TV, YouTube, whatever, they're at a different road. They're at a different state. They're they're on the moon. And most people that are on social media dreaming and scheming, they're still on Earth. Like, I can't go out there and kill a 170 if I haven't killed a 120. Like, don't... The, the social media thing makes me so angry because obviously we need it to to have this podcast without social media we wouldn't be here talking right but it's like going back on 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 Vince's question about what is a good deer you know i think that you bring up that question because of social media how everybody thinks oh it's got to be a booner or so you know it's got to be certain inches whatever like it, say you're say you're 18 years old and you're just getting into hunting you know what a good deer is any deer Mm-hmm. doesn't matter yeah. how old you are. It doesn't matter. Any deer that you can kill is a good deer. Anything legal. That second year that you're hunting, maybe a year and a half year old, a two and a half year old, that's a good deer. But don't go into hunting thinking, oh, well, just because Joe Blow on social media killed a 190, well, I got, I got to hold out for that 190. You know what frustrates me so much is like kids nowadays will like show me pictures or like high schoolers will come up and be like, hey, what do you think about this buck I got on camera? I'm going to give him another year. <laughs> and it's like a solid like 140. And I'm like, well, what's your biggest deer on the wall? Oh, well, I, I killed a button buck back in the... Yeah. I'm like, why are you not shooting this deer? Oh, well, it's, <laughs> it's, 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 perspective. it's not big it's enough. Perspective. It's, it's not big enough. And it's like... Dude, and, and sorry to cut you off, DJ. Go ahead with whatever you're going to say. No, no, I was, I was going to, you know, elaborate a little bit on like we're we're talking about social media. You guys are talking about social media, how it's helped you in a positive way. You know, I try to make sure on some podcasts that I'm featured on, I speak about the negative impacts of the reality hunters, the the the, the TV hunters, because you know. I have the opportunity. I don't know if you guys have ever had the, the opportunity to, to actually meet some of these guys who are on some of these bigger pro staffs and stuff yeah. like that. Have you guys ever had those opportunities? Yeah. 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 I'm going to tell you a guy. I'm not going to say his name. He's, he's killed multiple 200-inch deer. <laughs> right? And I had a conversation with him for about 40 minutes at the Iowa Deer Classic two years ago, maybe. And he said something to me, and it sat with me ever since then right you're new into hunting or you've never hunted before you go to the outdoor channel you go to the sportsman channel you go to the versus channel you go to fox sports north or whatever it is you can get your outdoor hunter you know hunting content right you watch an individual for 22 minutes worth of airtime on tv you got eight minutes worth of commercials right yeah that's 
That's just how it goes. It's the worst. <laughs> watch an individual who behind the scenes, you didn't watch them buy the property, but they bought it or they leased it, right? You didn't you get that opportunity if you follow them on YouTube to to watch them put in the work to make the food plots, put the blinds in, hang the stand right. But what they don't tell you is, or what we're not paying attention to, because it's a perception. I love being aware. I'm a critical thinker, and I keep telling myself that the more you're aware, the better decisions you can make, and the better off you're going to be in life because you're socially aware and you're aware in the moment and you understand the significance, right? We watch these guys and we praise these guys. They shoot a 200-inch deer. What we don't think about is how they've had three, four, five years worth of information on this animal before they went out there and killed them. But us, general public, we're not thinking about those things. We're not understanding how those things are working because we've seen so-and-so do it, so... I can go out there and do it. It's like, yeah, that guy's that, that guy's been looking at that deer since 2018. You yeah. you right. might you might it's still been like, in high school and you didn't even you didn't even hunt and he's been literally watching <laughs> right. that deer like you said for four. I mean, think about that. The yeah. deer these guys four, are five, killing are five years. five years old, six seven. Yeah, yeah. It's like that's half of these kids' lifetime that are watching right. these shows and are excited about it. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. And, and it's and it's and it's just it's the it's the perception that you know we as hunters we have new hunters have it worse than what us experienced hunters have because information is just it's out there all the time. You get some of these folks, I guarantee you, they couldn't tell you the difference between a north wind or an east wind. <laughs> they couldn't tell. You. They couldn't tell you right. They post a picture on social media of them shooting a uh, one hundred eighty. 190 inch buck right pay the guide etc if you do those things all right fine cool now all of a sudden they have a platform just grew thousands of followers because they shot one deer and now yeah. they're out there putting information out to the yeah. masses on youtube instagram and tiktok and facebook yeah oh and uh messenger pigeon if you still got coop in the backyard like some <laughs> of us folks do but it's 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 the it's the perception and I always try to make sure that, you know, as hunters, we're all aware that, like like you guys have been saying, and Vincent and everybody else has been saying, like, we're all at different levels and different stages of our hunting career. We're all hunting different areas of the United States or even Canada. I mean, I, I've checked my analytics. There's people that follow me in Kenya and South Africa, wherever you're from, wherever you're at. Like, it's, it's, all, it's all different. You know, mm -hmm. it's the same thing when we're talking about what's a good bucket. It's all different for everyone. Like it's 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 different, and that's what I was always like try to stress and make sure that everybody understands, especially for those listening at home. It's like you know, why take advice of someone who has never put in the amount of work, effort, even hunted in the same state, same property, same year, wherever you're at, compared to someone who's online on social media. Like that's been the biggest. You know, yeah, yeah. you should have had a B8 moment that hit me two years ago. Like, I'm watching these guys that are hunting in these different parts of the United States. And I'm like, okay, well, if I just take what I learned from this guy on that episode and I apply this to where I'm hunting at right now in Minnesota, <laughs> it's going to work. And I'm like, no, how is it going to work? Yeah. Your deer hurt isn't the same as his. You don't have the amount of pressure that he has over there. It's like, it's perspective, and I, and I just want to challenge the, the, the listeners to, to kind of like, you know, 
be aware of what you're doing and how you're doing it and, and where you're getting your information from. Most importantly, that's, that's, that's just my, my last little talking point. Like just be aware where you're getting your information from and, and aware of your tactics when you're hunting. Yeah, yeah, amen. That's yeah. good. Definitely. Yeah. Well, we better watch the time. Yeah. Well, yeah uh, we want to be cautious of everybody's is, time. But this has been. They need to do their great. intro yeah. and then. Yeah. We'll hit the, uh, the closing <laughs> question and then we'll wrap it up with the intro and we'll put it back in. Yep. Yeah. Yep, yep. Cool. So uh, yeah. we want to thank you guys for coming on and discussing the baiting, non baiting um, for the buck battles here. And why don't you guys just touch a little bit about where they can find you on social media, if you got a YouTube, that stuff. And then we'll hit you with the closing question and then we'll do the intro. Yeah. Plug yourself. Yeah, yeah, so my name is Vince Badiata. Um, my social handle is exclusively on Instagram. It's Chasing Public, uh, one word. And uh, I do have a YouTube channel. Uh, it is attached um, to There's a little link right there in the bio. Uh, I haven't posted anything there in quite some time, but there should be a pretty nice little uh, uh, action turkey video that's going to be coming here soon. So I had a great, cool. great turkey hunt this, uh, uh, this year recently. So... Um, but that's where you can find me. Uh, always open to having any type of hunting-related conversation. I, I usually try to uh, respond back to anybody that contacts me. I, I feel like it's it's uh, that part's kind of lost, and people just kind of hit the thumbs up button. So I try to in, actually engage in in conversation and, and learn new people. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, feel free to hit me up. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry to disappoint your viewers. If you guys are listening to this on your way to work or you're just getting off or you're sneaking out to go do some hunting, do some fishing, you guys can't find me on social media because I may have warrants out depending on where you're at within the United States. But anyway, now that's all over. Um, you guys can typically find me on Instagram at djonesoutdoors as a compound word. Or you can find me on YouTube at D Jones Outdoors, um, TikTok, David Jones Jr. Um, if you guys want to look for me on Cash App, I got a picture of Bernie Sanders and it's David. <laughs> so that's where you guys can find me. If you can't find me in any of those places, just leave me a voicemail or a direct message because I'll be hunting or fishing or spending time with my family or at work. So yeah. I, I hope I covered all of my bases. Yeah, you're good. I love you're it. Good. I love it. All right, let's do the last question. Alrighty, so the last question is, what have you guys learned from hunting that you can apply to your everyday life? That there's just some folks that can't kill a deer to save their life. No matter what you do, no matter who they pay, and I can I can apply that to life. Some folks, not everybody was hunters. Somebody had to be a gatherer, and I, I remember that every day in my everyday life. <laughs> uh, yeah, for me, it's... Uh... And this is going to sound silly or, or, or I guess immature, but the uh, the quality of ability to learn. So, you know, with with deer hunting, we've been talking about it now for a while. Everyone's at the different different stages. You know, as time progresses, you become more and more serious uh, and achieve bigger and higher and more difficult goals um, and trying to, to learn that that task. And, uh, and I took that and then really applied it into my my everyday life and in a different career path, something I thought that I would, I would never, never do um, something that's, that's pretty difficult. And, you know, you can really just do whatever you, you set your mind to as long as you're willing to, to let your mind go outside the box and just, just stay dedicated and keep consistent. Mm -hmm. Cool. That's awesome. good. I love that's that. Good. I love both answers. Yeah. All right. Well, we want to thank you guys for joining us. Uh, so we're going to wrap it up now. Yep. Yep. Alrighty. Doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You can always be born again, and born again is out.
Peace. Alrighty, so before we get into the actual podcast, guys, why don't you just uh, give us a little rundown of who you are, what your brands are, and then we'll go into it. Sure. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll, I'll go first. Yeah. Uh, my name is is Vince Badiata. Um, I might know some of you. Some of you might know me. Uh, my handle is at Chasing Public. You can find me on Instagram there. Um, been hunting for you know many years. Started when I was twelve, and I'm thirty five now. Um, and my stance on baiting is technically against it. Okay. Okay. All right, folks, you know, I'm your host with the most former from the East Coast, but I am <laughs> in, in the Midwest. And I'm planning to be one of the best, and my name is David Jones Jr. I was born in Jacksonville, Florida, raised Callahan, Florida, but I am now living just up 30 minutes south of Duluth, Minnesota. Um, I started hunting when I was knee-high to a grasshopper and, or in a car seat, if you ask my dad, in the back seat of that Chevrolet. And I am for bait. Because if you ain't baiting, you just hopelessly waiting. That's that's my model. <laughs> that's perfect. That's I good. love it. All right, let's get into it. 